Why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? What's the point of it all? Those kind of questions have always provided a lot of material for philosophers and poets and musicians, songwriters. Uh, I think of Creed's song, What's This Life For?, where that's repeatedly asked in the song, or U2's, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And the reason for those questions, it's what drives, those questions drive so many people uh, to obsess over certain pursuits. It's why people obsess over education and careers and sports, money, fame, Behind the obsessive pursuits that so many people have in those areas is the need to answer those questions, a longing to have those questions answered. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? Does my life have any real meaning or value? What's the point of it all? Every single person deep within them has a longing to have those questions answered. Everyone knows that, that there is a, an emptiness deep within them. And that emptiness is a lack of meaning, a lack of purpose. And every single person, no matter who they are or where they are, no matter when they've lived or where they've lived, has a strong, intrinsic need and desire to have those very basic, essential questions answered. Why am I here? What is the point of my life and of my being here? Is there any meaning out there for me? At some point, you've probably wondered the same thing. Maybe you're still wondering that. And maybe, just maybe, that's one reason you're here today. Hoping, wondering, could those questions be answered for me today in this place at this time. We started a new series last week called What God Makes New, and the main verse that really kind of anchors the whole series in each week with what we look at comes from 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it's one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? You tell me. New creature, new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. It's a glorious promise. And in this series, we're unpacking that and and going deeper with that, and we're asking the question, what does God make new? So if if anyone that is in Christ is a new creation, and old things are passed away, and all things are new, what does that actually look like? What are those specifics? What specifically does God promise to make new? What, what specific areas of newness does He provide for every believer that's in Him? And that's what we're doing throughout this series. As we started last week, we talked about the new heart and the new spirit that God promises for all who are in Christ and how much we need that. We can't do anything else until we get that new heart and new spirit. That's the starting point. Everything else flows from that point, a new heart and a new spirit. Today, as we continue in the series, today we're going to be focusing on 
a new purpose. That's what God gives every single believer. It's what He promises and provides every single person that comes to Christ and that's made new in Christ. We get a new purpose. Aren't you grateful for that? I'm so thankful personally that I don't have to wander aimlessly and wonder forever what could there possibly be by way of purpose for my life. I can know it, and you can too. And it's found, as everything else in our life is, in Christ. A new purpose. And have you ever seen, uh, probably you have, uh, you might have one, a three-legged stool? They're, they're not as popular, you know, as the four-legged variety, but they're, they're three-legged stools. And the three-legged stool, you have to have all three legs intact and strong. If just one leg is missing or broken, you're not going to be able to use the stool. It's not going to hold anything up. You have to have all three together. And just like that, Christ gives this, this new purpose that we're talking about today. Christ gives every Christian a threefold purpose. Christ gives every Christian a threefold purpose. All three of these things that we're going to talk about in detail today depend on the other. They're, they're completely connected. You can't have one without the other. And they completely are, are interwoven. They're connected. And they're all three absolutely essential if we want to know our purpose, this new purpose that we're given, and if we want to live it out it, it, all, it all has to come together. It's a threefold purpose. Here's what that threefold purpose is. I'm going to give it to you, and then we're going to look at each one in detail. Okay, ready? Our purpose as Christians, when we come to Christ, this new purpose, our purpose is to live through Christ, through Christ, to live for Christ, and to live to make Christ known. Our purpose is to live through Christ, live for Christ, and live to make Christ known. Before we go into these in detail, let's just pray one more time together. Father, what we look at here is truth. And it's not truth because I have put together a message. It's not truth because of what I say. It's truth because what is contained in this message and what I will endeavor to point everyone here too, is the timeless, universal, always relevant truth of your word. That's what makes what we talk about today true. So because of that, I pray, I pray, let your spirit take over. Remove all the distractions and discouragements from our hearts and our minds. Fill us, all of us, not just me as the speaker, but those that I'm speaking to as listeners. Fill us all with your Spirit. Open our minds. Open our hearts. Make this personal. Please, God, do the work that only you can. Through your word, through this message, we humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first... To live through Christ. That's the first leg, if you will, of the, of the stool that we need to sit on and, and depend on in terms of our, our new purpose. Live through Christ. 
This is absolutely essential, church. This is the starting point. You can't do the other things. You can't really live out and, and fully know the other aspects of this threefold purpose unless you have this right, unless you get this right. Live through Christ. John 15.5 is uh, the first passage of Scripture I want to point you to. I'll be reading from the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible. John 15.5, Jesus Himself speaking here, He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Sometimes we live as if that, if that was reversed. We, we kind of... Uh, can fool ourselves into thinking that it is all about us, that we, we are the vine. We can be the vine. No, no, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Get that order right. That's important. He who abides, that's dwelling, dwelling and saturated by, making a, a home and a, a permanent residence in, he who abides, lives in me, and I in him, He bears much fruit. Notice the order again. He who abides in Me. And as we abide in Him, He in us. And the the ones that that's true of, He, they, bear much fruit. Why is that so important? Why is that so essential? That, That order, understanding how it all works, that He is the vine, we are the branches, He tells us. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Jesus didn't say, apart from Me, you can do the easy things. It's only the hard things that you need to depend on Me for. Only the really big things. That's what you need to depend on. No. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. Nothing of value. Nothing of purpose. Nothing of meaning. Nothing of spiritual power whatsoever can we do apart from outside of the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times have you spent lots of frustrating time looking for that one little part that you needed to finish the project or the job? And you go everywhere I mean, you're, you're tearing the house apart. You're, you're, every cabinet is, is now laid bare. All the stuff in the drawers are out. You've got a, a war zone that you're walking through, and your wife or husband comes in, and they're like, what are you doing? I thought you were just trying to fix this one thing. And you're like, yeah, I was. But I need this one little part. And I can't find it. It has to be here. And you go everywhere. And then, and let's be honest, this is usually the wife that does this. Says, oh, you mean, you mean that little part right here? Ah! Right? I mean, you, you do all that working and, and you're, you're frustrating and you're, you're needing to repent every minute because of the words you're saying in your head. And, and there you realize it was in front of you the whole time. Right there. Reminds me of something my mom always used to say. We had a collection of what we called Donna-isms because she would just say things that were so uniquely her, you know, that were original to her and it would just cause you to laugh. Uh, One thing she would always say in this kind of thing when she was looking for something and couldn't find it 
or she would say it when someone else was looking for it, and then it was right there. She would say, if it had been a snake, it would have bitten me. That was always what she said. We don't know why she said that. Like, where did that come from? What, what's, the, what's the connection there? But that's what she would always say, and, and so that sticks with me. We've been there, right? We know how that is, how frustrating that is. It was right in front of us the whole time, and if we had just seen it and used it, the job would have been done. It would have been over. We would have saved ourselves a lot of stress and a lot of wasted time. Unfortunately, the same thing frequently happens spiritually too. Far, far too often, we ignore and fail to apply the help, the power that is always available to us, right in front of us. The ability to live obedient, thriving lives as Christians. It's not natural to us. Certainly it's not easy for us. But it's always available to us. Always. And it's found in Jesus. It's found in the vine. It's found in abiding in Him. And He in us. And failure to apply the reality and the, the power of, of this verse, John 15:5, failure to apply the reality and the power of that verse, that's why we often live such powerless, discouraged lives as Christians. We go about the Christian life so often like we were like we're trying to put out this raging fire that's all around us with nothing but a squirt gun. You know, it's like running into this inferno. Our house is burning, or our building's burning. Hey, I've got this. Don't worry, I've got it. And we run in, we charge into the flames. No protective gear whatsoever. Nothing but a squirt gun to try to put out the fire. And then we wonder why we're so burned. That's how we so often live the Christian life. Or we run into a, a fierce battle. There's a, a fierce battle, and we know we're meant to fight it. We charge into this fierce battle with nothing but our pajamas on. And then we wonder, why am I so battered and beaten and torn? That's how we so often live the Christian life. When there is all of the power and the ability in the universe at our disposal available to us in Jesus, through Him. Abiding in Him. Looking to Him. Depending on Him. Live through Christ. That's the first and so essential foundational part of our threefold purpose. Another passage still dealing with the importance of living through Christ, living through Him, is Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been, notice the past tense, if you're in Christ, this has happened. Whether you apply it or not, whether you live in light of it or not, that's another question. But this has happened. If you are truly in Christ, then this has truly happened for you. This is true of you. I have been crucified with Christ. I've been aligned with Him as He died for me and I surrender to the work of that death. I am aligned with that death. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. The me you used to be before coming to Christ is dead. 
I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, the natural me, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, because you're, you're still alive, you know. You come to Christ, the old you dies, but you're still alive. You, it's not like you cease to be at that point, physically or literally. So Paul says, the life which I now live you know, in the flesh, physically, the life I live in this skin that I still have, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. See, faith is not just something we place in Jesus for salvation. Faith is the very essential lifeblood of the Christian. It's the, the very breath spiritually that we need to breathe to function and live spiritually. It's the power that we need to thrive spiritually. So I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Live through Christ. Church, we need to get this. We need to understand that God the Father intends for us to depend on God the Son in our functional, everyday living. Not just on Sunday morning. That doesn't mean only when we go to church or participate in, quote, Christian things. You know, we, we depend on Jesus when we do the Christian thing. No, it, it's Monday through Saturday as well. This, what we do here, what we're doing right now, this exercise, this is simply, it should be simply, the culmination of a life already lived in and through Christ out there the rest of the week. It's what we're doing together, what we are meant to do individually already. And that's what God intends, for us to depend on God the Son in our functional, everyday living. Not just when we go to church or do the Christian type things, but also when we go to work or we go to school, when we go on vacation, when we talk to and relate to other people, in our friendships, in our dating relationships, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our grandparenting. In every part of our life, every aspect, nothing left out, nothing compartmentalized. Through Christ, period. Through Christ in every area of life. That's what we are intended to do. Live through Christ. The second aspect of this threefold new purpose that we are given when we come to Christ is to live for Christ. So we live through Christ... He is the source of our life, and we depend on Him, but we also live for Him. For Him. Romans 6, 8-11. Look at that with me. Romans 6, 8-11. The Apostle Paul there says this, Now, if we died with Christ, which Galatians 2.20 we just looked at, that's, that's fact, uh, our alignment is with Him as He died for us. Now we have died. We, we have died with Him, spiritually speaking. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, aligned in His death and aligned to Him through His resurrection. 
We believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, this is key, the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, in other words, in, in the same way, Paul's saying, just as that happened, just as that is fact, in the same way, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see that, that wonderful essential contrast? Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ through Him, living for Him. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 makes it even more clear. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul there says, For the love of Christ controls us, or some of your translations may say compels, drives us. The love of Christ controls or compels us. Having concluded this, we've come to this conclusion. Christianity, church, is not some mindless reality where you check your, your mind and logic at the door. That's not what God intends. Everyone who comes to Christ and, and has true faith should have, have done a reasoned approach to it. It should be done with the full faculties of your mind understanding that there is nothing else that makes sense. Nothing else that works. Evaluate. Compare. I mean, by all means. All through His ministry, Jesus said, think about this now. You want to be My follower? You better think about it. Weigh the cost. Don't rush into this. Give thought to what you're doing. Take a careful, reasoned approach and you're going to find that there is no other life. Nothing else makes sense. Paul says, having concluded this, so I've weighed this out, I've thought about this, I've reasoned this out, and this is the conclusion that I've reached. That one died for all. Therefore, all died. And He, Jesus, died for all, here's the really important part, so that, in order that, for the purpose of, we're talking about purpose, so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Friends, we weren't just saved from hell. We were freed from living for ourselves. That's salvation. So many times we look at salvation as if it's just a get out of hell free card. And like that's the main purpose and the main goal. And so I'm good. You know, I know I'm not going to hell, so all right, yay. I get to now live however I want, knowing I'm not going to hell. Wrong. Sure, you were saved from the hell that you deserve. But that's, that's just, I mean, really? That's actually like that much of the Christian life and what salvation was for. Jesus saved you 
to free you from a life of slavery to yourself and to the sin that you couldn't save yourself or free yourself from. He saved you in order that you would now have the ability, the ability and the freedom to be able now to live for Him that you could never be free to do before He saved you. There is no one, the Bible says, no one seeking after God. All have turned to their own way. Outside of Christ, we will all hopelessly and forever live only for ourselves. We will always try to be our own deity. And it will never end on our own, in ourselves. That's why Jesus died to save us. He died to free us so that we would no longer live for ourselves and the emptiness that it is. And you know, you know how empty that is. You know how pointless and futile and exhausting it is to live for yourself. You know that, right? Of course you do. We know that that doesn't get us anywhere. All those people, you know, I I said at the beginning, the, the questions asked, why am I here? What's this life for? What's the point of all? All those people that constantly pursue education to no end and obsess over it, The reason they do that is because that's where they're looking for meaning. If I just get one more degree, I'll finally have purpose in my life. I'll finally realize what I'm actually here for. Or after that education and that degree and all the hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt they go in for those degrees, I'll finally get that job. That's my benchmark. And when I finally get that job, I'll have purpose and I'll have meaning. And because I'll make enough money, that's where my purpose will be, in money. Or they'll go the the sports route. If I get that scholarship and I get that recognition from that scout and I go to the pros, that's where my purpose will be. And then once you're there, there's no end. You've got to win the championship. And you finally get to that championship and you'll hold the trophy. And you think, I've arrived. And the next day, you're empty again. And it's on for the, the pursuit of the next championship and the next one and the next one. Or you pursue fame. When I'm finally recognized enough, when I have enough likes, when I have enough followers on my Instagram or whatever it is, then I'm going to have meaning and I'm going to have value and I'm going to feel purpose. But it never happens. Purpose is always evasive. Meaning is always evasive outside of Christ and apart from Him. Living for self is horribly empty. And there's no end to it. And praise God, we weren't just saved out of hell. We were saved for freedom from living for self in all of its futility. You really want purpose. You really want meaning. You really want to know that your life has value. Surrender to Christ. And He gives your life meaning. And He gives you value. And He gives you purpose. Lastly, but certainly not least, the third aspect of this new purpose we're given. Live to make Christ 
known. Live to make Christ known. So you live through Christ. You live for Christ. And as you're doing those two things, it leads to, I mean, just naturally, it leads to making Christ known. If you and I choose, I mean, we really choose, we're going to live through Christ and we're going to live for Him, that's going to stand out. Everybody with me? If you live through Christ and you live for Him, no one else is doing that. And let's be honest, there's a fair amount of Christians who aren't doing that. So if if you are actively, not, not perfectly, but actively, consistently living through Christ, He's your source of life, and you're living for Him, He's your goal, that's going to stand out, and you're already on your way to living to make Him known. Because people are going to sit up and take notice that there's something really weird about you. Live to make Christ known. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. Now all these things are from God. What things? It's the things that Paul has talked about in the previous verses. Like, for example, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Those things. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. And wait for this. Okay, everybody, maybe, maybe a few of you have zoned out. Maybe a few of you have nodded off. This is, this is the time to wake up, all right? You don't want to miss this. This is so mind-blowingly good. It's astounding. So not only did He save us, not only did He reconcile us to Himself through Christ, which itself is amazing, but look at this next part. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So He reconciled rebels and sinners to Himself and then gave us that ministry of reconciliation that we ourselves received. (laughs) No one but God does this. You will not find this in any other world religion or school of thought or philosophy. Nothing but the Gospel offers this kind of life. Where God loves you enough to send His Son to redeem you and rescue you and bring you into adoption, into right relationship with Himself, and then says, okay, now that you're reconciled to Me, now I'm going to use you as feeble and weak and self-focused as you still are. I'm going to use you to bring others into reconciliation. Wow. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, namely, that God... The Father was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their transgressions against them. There's grace. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. In other words, the Gospel. Committed to us the word, the message, the good news of reconciliation. So then... We are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador doesn't promote his own interest. An ambassador promotes the interests of the country or the the leader that sent them to the other place. That's what we are to do. 
We are ambassadors for Christ as God is pleading through us. You know that God pleads? He shouldn't. He certainly doesn't have to. But that's the God we have. A God of such love for the sinner that He pleads that the sinner will come to the reconciliation that He has made available through His Son. And He does that pleading, look, look, through us. We are ambassadors for Christ as God is pleading through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's glorious. 1 Peter 2.9. We'll wrap up with this. 1 Peter 2.9 carries this, this same thought. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart, distinct, unique, a people for God's own possession, so that, why all those things? Why are we given such a, a calling as that? So that you may proclaim, announce, Promote, draw attention to the excellencies of Him, not of you. Oh, look how great I am. How great I am. No. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Taking these two incredible passages, to, passages together, 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20 and 1 Peter 2, 9, combine that with the Great Commission, what we're all called to do is to practice what, what I like to refer to as show-and-tell evangelism. Show-and-tell evangelism. If you've been in the membership class, which if you've been a member in the recent years, you've had to go through that membership class. And, and in the membership class, I tell everybody about this at this point. When, when we get to the point of talking about salvation and we, we hear each other's testimonies and we talk about the importance of, of making a witness, I use that term, show and tell evangelism. You guys remember show and tell, right? Who here remembers show and tell? It was the best part of school. Why do they stop that at, at kindergarten? I mean, you get to pick something from home that you just love, you think it's the greatest thing in the world, and you get to bring it to school and show everybody how great it is and talk to them about it and make them envious and jealous. It's great. My favorite part of that, my favorite time of show and tell was um, when I got my big, wonderful G.I. Joe jet. That one Christmas. It was last Christmas. I got this big, shiny G.I. Joe jet. It was great. And I could not wait to go back to school so that I could show and tell. And I showed it. And I told about it. And I showed all the things it could do. And I heard the oohs and the ahs. And it was great. And it was fulfilling for about two seconds. But that's how we need to approach our our witness. That's how we need to approach being ambassadors of Christ. 
That's how we need to approach being that chosen family, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for God's own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. It's about showing and telling. It's about living our life in such a way that shows the gospel. Remember I just said if you live through Christ and you live for Christ, that's going to be noticeable because no one else is doing that? That's the show part. You've got to show the gospel in how you live. But you can't just show it. You have to to speak it. You have to tell it. You have to use words. That very famous statement, preach always and if necessary use words, it's erroneous because it is always necessary to use words. Because it is by hearing the gospel that people are convicted of their need for it. But you also have to live in such a way that backs up what you say. It's both. It's show and tell. And that's what we need to pursue. Show and tell evangelism. Threefold purpose, church. Threefold purpose. It's about... It's about living through Christ 24-7. All the time. It's about living for Christ in everything we do, every aspect of life. And it's about living to make Christ known to those who do not know Him. That's what's before us. That's the purpose given to us. And thankfully, we have all the power of God Himself as we seek to do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for giving us a threefold purpose that we could never manufacture on our own. I thank You for giving our life meaning and value and direction. It's only found in coming to Your Son, surrendering our life to Him, and then we find life, real life, lasting life, purposeful life. Apart from Your Son, there is no life. There's no life eternally, and there's not really life here and now. He gives it all. Jesus really is our life. Help us, please, by your Spirit to live through Him, to live for Him, and to live to make Him known. May that mark and define our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.